Welcome to In The Frame, the Oak Whites podcast covering everything from self-build to custom build and everything in between. I'm Charlie Mills and today I'm with Alan Duval from Walsingham Planning. This is episode 20 and this is part two and today we're going to discuss everything to do with planning. Something that's really important is making sure that the way your house looks and feels um, reflects the local character of the area. The beauty about oak whites is on our encapsulation system, you can have your oak frame internally, but externally it could be finished in anything. And that's why we're we're able to build everywhere. Once you've got a refusal of planning permission by the local authority, you, you just pause, you take a step back and you think to yourself, okay, what could we possibly do differently? Alan, carrying on our conversation. Yes, thank you, Charlie. So... We found our site, okay? How do we now go about the process of, of, of putting a design on it? Um, and so what would, uh, how would you advise that that's sort the of next process then? Yeah, so once you've, once you've found a site and you're, you're comfortable that the principle of development is going to be acceptable to the local authority, and when we talk about principle, um, it's as we, you know, as we talked about that you've done your due diligence to make sure that it's actually going to be achievable to put a property on that site. Once you've once you've done that, you've ticked a really important box because you've got to the point where you know that you can actually develop something on that site. Um, so you then get to the, you get then get down to the exciting part, and that's actually looking at how a design can work on that particular site taking into account um you know the 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 considerations around your site so for example um your site might have a number of um very old and attractive trees on it you don't want to be cutting those down unless you really have to because the local authority again are going to get nervous about that you might have a neighboring house that's that's got windows that overlook into your site so you have to start building up a picture of actually actually how you can design something on the site that takes into account the immediate constraints now um now obviously there's there's many ways to design a house um and there's many different types of design of designs of house again something that's really important is making sure that the way your house looks and feels um reflects the local character of the area so, for example, to give you an example, if you if you wanted to build a new house in the Cotswolds, um, you would have to build your house to reflect the Cotswold style and design of houses. But if you wanted to build, um, you know, if you wanted to build something that was, a, a you know, a red brick Victorian house in the middle of the Cotswold, a Cotswolds village, it's not going to happen. Um, it needs to reflect that in terms of the, the, the local vernacular. So- Correct. Yeah. Um, so the, the the external has to have features that reflect the local area. So okay. as you say, the Cotswold stone or or you know big tile hung in perhaps uh, Surrey etc. Yeah. Or Sussex. Yeah. Um, the beauty about oak rights is on our ca- encapsulation system, you can have your oak frame internally, but externally it could be finished in anything, and that's yeah. why we're we're able to build everywhere. Yeah. Um, but it's that's why we have such an array of properties and projects um, because we can adjust clad externally in yeah. any finish. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's really you know that as you say that's really great about Oak Rights in terms of the fact that you can you can have a bespoke design to the to the to the vernacular of the area. Um, I think I think what 
what can be challenging sometimes is that is that if you want to if you want to build something that's quite modern yeah um and quite contemporary um in terms of its external appearance in an area that's quite traditional you can sometimes face a conflict with the local authority in terms of introducing something that's modern into a traditional area and there's no there's no easy rule book in terms of that sometimes you have to sometimes you have to pitch an idea to a local authority and see how they react um and you know a lot of clients want to go something that's a bit more modern and a bit more contemporary in terms of the design um and like i say some local authorities are quite amenable to that but others will be will be resistant and you'll have to navigate and negotiate with the council through that process so that's a nice uh, lead in um, to to sort of, you know, that process of approaching the council. But so just from your then advice, uh, your experience. So a couple of questions. Can I put any size of project on a plot? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there any orientation or, um, you know, let's say for neighbours, you know, if I stuck a massive glazed gable that overlooked their garden, that's not going to be too favourable, is it? No. So what what sort of uh, advice would you give me for me? Right, I've, I think I'm getting the size. I know I want a four bedroom house and this and that and rough size, 200 square meters, let's yeah. say. Yeah. I'm going to just now I'm looking how it's going to sit on the site. What what advice would you give me to, to sort of how that would if let's say we're in between a few houses, you know, we've got some neighbors. So we're not just completely, you know, rural to ourselves. So there's some considerations. What what would you advice would you give me on that basis? Yeah. So, again, it's 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 understanding what's what's there already in terms of the local context the local vernacular so for example if you have an infill plot um and either side of your um plot you have two-story houses with with quite steep pitches on the roofs you would want to think about doing something that that is that is not identical mm -hmm. but similar to the way your neighbouring properties um, have been designed in terms of the scale, height, etc. Because you don't want to build something that's you know considerably higher than the neighbours. Um, and when you look along the frontage of the road, it's you know it's two stories higher than everything yeah. else. It's not going to, <laughs> it's not going to look good, and the council aren't going to like it. So, so understanding understanding what's there already is really important. But then once you've done that, and you're you're comfortable that what your idea for what you're designing isn't you know isn't considerably different to what's what's in the immediate area then you can start to play around with it in terms of a design that ultimately is what you want um the relationship with neighboring properties is really important because um you know one thing local authorities are very strict on is if you have if you're introducing windows in a new house that overlook or look into existing windows of a neighbouring house for for things like privacy. Mm. Um, that's really really important, and there's some there's some strict criteria and guidelines in terms of distances between windows um, that you have to be beyond. So some of those detailed points are really really critical to get right when you're when you're sitting down and and thinking about a design. Um, but obviously, you know, there's lots of guidance that that Oak Rights give to your clients in terms of the design when you sit down and yeah. start thinking about that. But there's some basic, there's some basic principles that you have to follow. But like I say, the exciting part is once you've ticked those, ticked those boxes of those basic principles, you can then start to play around and, and, and hopefully achieve something that you really want. So it's gone into council. 
we've got a decision back. Obviously, you can have one or two. Let's go down the, the positive route first. We've got our approval. Um, so what will come out of that then? We'll get an approval normally with some conditions, right? Yeah. So what sort of conditions might are generally across the country uh, might people see? Yeah, so if you... Um so if you're lucky enough to get your planning permission, um, the first thing to do is have a have a very big party and celebrate. <laughs> because um, if you've spent six months or 12 months or 18 months trying to get the planning permission, it's hard work and it can be stressful. Um, there's no hiding from that. So so celebrate. Yep. You've done you've done excellently well. Um, but then, yeah, you have to be careful that you don't trip yourself up by not complying with conditions on your planning permission. And what what local authorities will do is they will list out um, certain pieces of information that they will want to see and want to make sure they're happy with. Usually before you start building your house or sometimes it can be when the house is completed um, or sometimes it can be for the duration of, of the life of the house being a, being a, being a development. So for example, so, for example, something that's very common is um, the council might want to see details of the external materials that you're going to yep. be using to and build. That would be a pre-commencement, right? Correct. And you would have to submit those materials, and that could be everything from the roof slates to the type of brick. And you'd have to submit that to the council, and they would have to physically look at that and okay. say, yeah, we're happy with the, those even materials. Even down to the colour of uh, your windows and doors, right? Exactly. If you're, you know, if you're in a conservation area... Um, the council will want to make sure that the windows are all finished in a particular particular style and particular colour. So that's quite common that you will have to provide that level of that that further information to the council before you can actually start building. Um, and, you know, there's other common conditions um, at the moment. Again, th things related to ecology. If you if you have um, if you're unfortunate enough to have great crested newts, um, present on your site there's mitigation that you have to put in place um, to deal with those um, but yeah there are a number and they will all be listed out on your planning permission um, some of the wording can be quite technical and quite difficult to understand so again you know it's 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 helpful um, that you know the oak rights and consultants such as ourselves can advise clients in terms of what those actually mean because the pre-commencement conditions can actually take some time to um, to get approved, can't they? You know, so yeah. yes, you get a, your your planning permission granted, but to get through those pre-commencement conditions, and that's before you can even start any work on site. Yeah, can be up to six months to sort of get validated and stuff, can't they? Yeah, and um, when you you know when you're thinking about the the timeline and the program for your project. There's there's obviously a whole series of things that you need to consider, and the planning process is is really fundamental to that. But you shouldn't think that once you get your decision notice, the planning process is finished because because you know as you say you might have to then go through an, another round of submitting information to the council that then has to be approved. So you need to be you need to be aware of that when you're thinking about the overall project timeframes. And then as you're coming towards the end of building your project as well, you have uh, conditions that need signing off before you can move in as well, right? Correct. Yeah, there can be some conditions that um, that have to be dealt with by the council before you can actually occupy a building. Yeah. Unfortunately, those aren't um, those aren't as common as they used to be. 
Um, and when we're when we're managing a planning application for a client and we're taking it through the process with them, what we always try to do is work with the council to limit the number of conditions that are that are on a potential planning permission because what we'd be saying to the council is look you don't need to see these details through condition because they're already on the drawings um so we will try to limit the amount of conditions once we're going through that process um because if you're not careful the council can just slap conditions on without without you knowing about it and you want to make your life as easy as possible and the most conditions and the the more conditions you can get signed off at once it's the cheaper because it you have to pay to to submit a condition right yeah, unfortunately, the planning system and the planning process is not is not free um, in terms of submitting applications to local authorities. So, yeah, you again, you want to limit the amount of applications because each application has a fee associated with it. Um, for very large proposals, that can run into thousands of pounds. For um, you know, if you're looking at something much smaller in terms of just a single new house, it, it's hundreds of pounds. But you, yeah, again, you don't want to. You don't want to get stung by having to submit repeated applications and obviously having to keep paying fees. I think I remember our um, the conditions we had to get signed off before we moved in was the the water usage, mm-hmm. so how much water we were going to use, um, bat box, bird box, and an insect box, and yep. evidence that the landscape plan that we had provided that the trees that you know the, the trees that we said that we we're going to put in and the bushes and stuff were in, were there yeah. as well yeah um so that, yeah. that's a few that i can think of there of, of on our application yeah. so we've done the good news <clears throat> so let's say we've got a challenging council um and and it hasn't gone our way is it game over at this point so we've had a, a refusal what's what can we do at this point is it just tear it up walk off you know what is there any combat we can take yeah, so we obviously we obviously work very hard to avoid any refusals of planning permission. I think it's inevitable, though, that you have circumstances and you have projects where you will submit a planning application and the local authority just don't like it. And they don't like it for a number of reasons. And you might be faced with the situation of a refusal of planning permission. Now, I think the really important thing to remember is that a refusal of planning permission is not the end of the road. Um, there are there are ways of moving forward after you have a refusal of planning permission. The first way is that if um, if you are unlucky that the council refuses your planning permission, you have an opportunity to what's called submit an appeal for um, that application. And what you do is you submit an appeal to a government department called the Planning Inspectorate. Now, they are a department of the government that deal with planning appeals across the whole of the country. And what you what you will do is you will take your planning application that's been refused, you will submit an appeal, and it will then be dealt with and looked at again and reassessed by the planning inspectorate. So you get another opportunity for an independent body to look at your application. And the planning inspectorate will look at what the council have said about your application and why they don't like it and they will look at what you say in terms of why you believe it's acceptable and then they will make a decision as to whether to 
grant the planning permission or or stick with the local authorities um, decision to to refuse it so it gives you another bite of the cherry um we always have to be cautious when we go down the appeal route because um you could end up in a situation where you're giving the decision to effectively one person the planning inspector to make a judgment on your application and again that takes time there's a cost associated with that in terms of um, preparing the information that you need to prepare but it can be a very valuable way of making that next step from getting a getting a refusal from a council and then putting that decision in the hands of an inspector to take take a hopefully a different view and a positive view the other route which we which we regularly go down is once you've got a refusal of planning permission by the local authority you you just pause you take a step back and you think to yourself okay what could we possibly do differently in terms of our application and our proposal so for example in very simple terms if your if your planning application has been refused because um because your house is is too high for example or the design is is not right for the for the vernacular of the area what you might do is you might sit down and pause and take a breath and just think okay let's redesign the house you know let's change the height you know let's change the way the house looks externally in terms of the materials and the finishes and the design and let's <clears throat> let's present a different application to the local authority and see if they deal with it differently and let's go back to them with something that responds positively to their reasons for refusal so that's all about going back with something that is is different and something that looks to respond as i say positively to the council's reason for refusal and we we really see some really positive results sometimes for clients where they go back and they actually achieve second sometimes third sometimes fourth time around in terms of actually getting to a point where you've negotiated with the council an acceptable development and you know that can be that can be quite that can be quite a lengthy process but i think i think my advice to clients is always patience and stick with it and and keep going because um unless your unless your application is refused for something really fundamental that means that it's it's going to be really challenging to ever develop on that side there's always a there's always a way of trying to find a solution and we've had clients in the past who have maybe had three or four refusals of planning permission and also had appeals that have been refused as well but they keep at it they keep persevering and and they get something at the end of the day and they they go through that process but it can be lengthy it can be stressful it can be hard work but patience and perseverance can can really get you a long way i think that's this should be the the motto for self-build yeah, doesn't yes. happen overnight does it no. um the whole process no so um is there, there's a few people who sort of have various sort of uh, approaches or strategy for, you know, approaching planning. You know, uh, some people say, 
go bigger than what you want because you know then they can they'll always knock it down and then you'll get the size you want is there anything that you might um rather than just being you know uh just going for what you want is there anything that you perhaps might approach in a in a certain way or would you say no just go for what you want you know and, and do it right um yeah i think um I think that there are a number of different approaches and a number of different strategies to take. Um, you can be very bullish and you can be very, um, you can be very um, sort of single minded and focused and say, no, this is what I want. And I'm going to push this with the local authority very, very hard. Now, that's one approach. Another approach is, could be, is, to, is to be a bit more softly, softly. And almost go to the local authority and say, well, I've got this idea, but but what do you think? And, work with them. Yeah. And, you know, get their feedback and work with them. I think there's no one size fits all approach in terms of in terms of a strategy. And it relies very much on, again, as we talked about before, the individual characteristics of your site. Mm -hmm. You know, how challenging is your site in terms of the planning issues and also the the um the nature of the local authority that you're dealing with because some local authorities um will take a more relaxed approach than others they all follow the same guidelines but some will be a little bit more proactive to deal with some will be more helpful to deal with so again it's 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 the you know it's the nature of your site your project and the nature of the local authority that you're dealing with that will then dictate the strategy that you follow. But from our perspective, advising clients, you know, we will we will recommend the strategy that we think is going to be the most successful one. So if it is a very bullish approach or if it's something a bit more soft, collaborative, softly, yeah, yeah, softly will, and collaborative, we will go down. We will go down the route that we think is is the most appropriate for the for the client. Alan, so much rich content that we've just discussed. We always discuss top tips for our listeners. Mm -hmm. How could you summarize uh, some top tips? Yeah, so this is yeah, this is really important um, in terms of how you approach going in for planning and your your planning journey. I think my top tips would um, would revolve around a number of things. I think the first the first is, and I've mentioned it a few times. The first is patience and perseverance. Um, along your planning journey, you will have frustrations and you will. You know, you might want to give up, you might want to run for the hills, but you really have to be patient and you really have to keep with it and stick with it. And obviously having, you know, a really good team working with you is is great for that. But, you know, when when you when you are feeling those frustrations, just stick with it. So I think that's that's my first tip. I think I think secondly, um, with the way that the world is moving now, we are all very mindful of sustainability, the green agenda um, with all of our lives and every, every aspect of our lives and planning is no different. Um, a lot of local authorities are really looking very closely now and also in the future in terms of how um, development can be sustainable and how, how development can deal with the issues of climate change. So in terms of your planning application and what you submit to a local authority, if you're including within your your planning application building measures in terms of carbon reduction etc then it's really important to make sure that those are clearly set out 
um, because, because like I say, a lot of local authorities, a lot of local councillors are also looking at this very carefully. So it's something that we're finding we're needing to cover in a lot more detail. And obviously, Oak Rights, I know you, you know, you, you build um, to a very high standard in terms of sustainability. So it's all about drawing out that information and explaining it within your application. Um, I think, and I think another tip is, is when you are when you are going through your planning journey, <clears throat> make sure that you are always one step ahead, um, because you know you have to make sure that you take the initiative sometimes with the local authority. So, for example, if they ask you for information, they ask you questions about your application, respond quickly, respond in full. You know, don't um, don't just assume that the council will have all the answers from what you've submitted. So be proactive, be positive. You know, make sure you keep checking the council's website to see what's happening with your application because they won't necessarily tell you. So you have to be positive and proactive. And I think communication generally is really important in terms of um, in terms of with the council, but also, you know, as we discussed with your neighbours, um, with people in your local community, whether it's the parish council, um, and don't be afraid to talk about your application. Um, and if you if you go down the route of, um, you know, getting some pre-application advice from the local authority, for example, to help inform how you move forward, always bear in mind that that pre-application advice is confidential. So if you want to speak to the council at an early stage of your project, but you're worried about perhaps um, your neighbours or the local community finding out what you're thinking about, there is a confidential process that you can go through. So just thinking carefully about communication and how you how you um, you know how you talk to people as you're going through your planning journey is really important. And again, ourselves and Oak Rights can can advise on that at every stage. Brilliant, Alan. Thank you so much. That's been so informative and uh, and, and and brilliant for for anyone listening. Thank you for joining us here today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. This has been the second part of episode 20 all about planning i hope you've enjoyed today's episode make sure that you like and subscribe the channel and go look at all our other platforms on social media if there's anything that you'd like to see in particular send us a message or leave a comment